Hello, and welcome to this video presentation of Trans 101 Training, presented by Sayre Johnson with the Metro Trans Umbrella Group, also known as MTUG. I'm Shirley Mensa, the Senior Warden here at Holy Communion. For those who may be new to Holy Communion, I wanted to take a moment to explain that this presentation is part of Holy Communion's commitment of being a beloved community of people who seek to model the radical love shown by Jesus to all of God's children. One of the ways we planned to live into this commitment before the pandemic was to host a series of forums and discussions designed to raise awareness and help us ensure that as a church, we are doing all we can to make sure that what we do and the words we choose to use as a church community reflects that we really mean it when we say, all who enter our doors are welcome here. We are grateful to our rector, the Reverend Mike Angel, for making it possible for us to begin this series of discussions remotely and in spite of the pandemic. We are also especially grateful to Sayer Johnson and MTUG for giving us this opportunity to begin developing what I will call a love language that will help us better welcome our LGBTQ plus siblings into our church. I hope you get as much out of this excellent training as I did. And I hope you'll join us for future Language of Love forums here at Holy Communion. My name is Mike Angel. I am the rector here at the Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion and I am here to welcome you to a special conversation, a training. And today happens to be the Feast of Mary, and it is a day when the church is used to talking about gender, though today we are doing that in a slightly different way. Over the last few years, I've been getting to know Sayer Johnson and the Metro Trans Umbrella Group. We've marched in the streets together, we've advocated together, and I am thrilled that MTUG is here with us and Sayer will be leading this Trans 101 training. As a congregation, we've set a goal for ourselves of becoming more fluent in the language of gender identity, that we might be a more welcoming congregation. I hope that this training serves you in your own work to be a more inclusive-minded person and to welcome your neighbor. Will you help me welcome Sayer Johnson? Hello. Thank you so much for inviting me into your sanctuary today. It's, it's strange to be in front of an audience, but not in front of me. But I'm, I'm glad to be in your family rooms or your, your offices, and I appreciate the time uh, to talk. So. My name is Sayer Johnson, and I am the executive director and um, one of the co-founders of the Metro Trans Umbrella Group. Uh, the, I use he, him, his as my pronouns. The Metro Trans Umbrella Group is a grassroots nonprofit dedicated to building power and supporting trans expansive adults with social and emotional support. MTUG's been around for about six years, and I'll talk a little bit more about the mission and scope of MTUG later in this presentation. This is a super basic trans expansive 101. It is very 2020, 
So all the things I'm going to talk with you about today are very 2020. It is also being delivered by a trans expansive person who happened to step into an enormous amount of privilege when I transitioned. So I just want to hold space that this does come skewed with my perspective as a trans person living in the world with a great deal of privilege. So here we go. So this is a space to learn and engage. There are qu questions are encouraged. Um, you all can type in the chat. And are we going to have time afterwards maybe even for some discussion? Probably. Um, and Pastor Michael helped me by uh, asking the questions as we go. It's very casual. This is a place where uh, questions are super encouraged. This is a safer space. This is a place to ask these questions. Like an inappropriate space to ask these questions would be with a coworker or somebody who's emerging as a trans person. I am a seasoned trans vet. I've been in my skin for many, many years and I'm happy to answer your questions. Challenge the assumptions that you have been fed by the media, by your backgrounds, by the way that you have engaged the world. Let's just challenge assumptions and be open to this journey together. Okay, so language is always changing. Um, the language that I'm going to use today is very 2020. Like I said, um, trans expansive is sort of an umbrella term and I'll kind of describe later on in the slide deck what I'm talking about when I'm speaking trans expansive. Um, and yeah, so here we go. The gender spectrum. This is generally where I would be walking back and forth and pacing and showing you specifically, but I'm gonna, um, I'll be still and I'll tell you to look at the, uh, the slide that we have presented and you will see a number line from one to 12. And number one is Barbie or really, I keep meaning to change this to Beyonce, but right now it's Barbie. And so Barbie, uh, if Barbie were a human and she came out of her mother and she, the doctor looked at Barbie external genitalia and she was presented female at birth. And so number one on the gender spectrum would be a Barbie and number 12 on the gender spectrum would be a GI Joe. Again, GI Joe comes out of his mother, the doctor pronounces his gender identity based on his external genitalia. So we've got one and we've got 12. For a human on number one, maybe you were identified female at birth, you've lived your entire life identifying female, um, experienced perhaps traditional feminine things and traditional feminine roles, so you could totally be a number one. A number 12 would be a human who was identified male at birth and who has identified male their entire life. They have no question, no curiosity necessarily, and this is just the way that they engage the planet. For myself, um, in 1972, in a plume of cigarette smoke at the John Seeley Hospital in Galveston, Texas, my mother and the nurse and the assistant had a cigarette right before I was brought into the world because apparently that's what you could do at the John Seeley Hospital in Texas. And I came out of my mother and the doctor looked at my body and said, Mrs. Johnson, it's a girl. And so there I was, number one, 1972. 1974, I would be more clocked in the world as a four or a five, as a tomboy or as a center, a masculine of center female. Into my teenage years, I slid on over to six, maybe seven, 
and walked in the world as a butch woman or a butch lesbian. My gender identity and my sexual orientation certainly playing a huge role in the way that I presented in the world. Around 11 years ago, I met my first trans masculine human. And since then, my journey has taken me to an eight or a nine, or if I'm feeling really butch, maybe a 10. And that's the way I am in the world. So that is part of my journey. I can tell you that trans expansive identity, the fastest, the largest growing group under our umbrella are humans who would identify from three to 10, perhaps non-binary, gender fluid, gender queer, gender expansive. One of the largest growing populations, according to the 2015 survey, are gender expansive, gender queer folks. Gender is a spectrum and there are so many ways in the world to identify with your gender. The gender unicorn um, is, a, I, I like it, it's a good example of how to simplify the way that it is and the complexities of the way that we are in the world. So gender identity um, is the way that you think, the way that you present to yourself and to the world, how you are with gender. Your gender expression is your outside appearance, the way that you perhaps crop your hair or grow your facial hair, perhaps the clothing that you wear, the way that you express your gender through your expression, maybe your mannerisms. Sex assigned at birth is your DNA. Um, you have male, female, and intersex that are all designations at birth. Uh, my sex assigned at birth was female. Physically attracted to, again, you've got, I've got two hearts on this gender unicorn, and so physically attracted to men, women, or other genders, and emotionally attracted, again, to men, women, or other genders. For me in my life, my gender identity is masculine or male. My gender expression, for the most part, is masculine. My sex assigned at birth, female. I'm physically attracted to all sorts of humans, and in generally, I am emotionally attracted to femme humans. But it's a good illustration because, you know, I've had conversations where I've come out as transgender to people and be like, yeah, yeah, I'm trans. And they'd be loving and say, oh my gosh, I have this friend Bob and he lives in Chicago, he's gay. And I'm like, oh, that's lovely. I don't know gay Bob and that's a sexual orientation, not a gender identity. So just trying to get people to understand gender identity sexual orientation. So I talked about trans expansive as sort of an umbrella term. It's, um, an I believe it's an inclusive umbrella term. It's also very 2020. I'm sure that it will change because when I first came out as a transgender person, transsexual was a very prominent word in our culture. It's not as prominent anymore. M to F was also very prominent, or F to M, because it's male to female or female to male. Those were very prominent in our language and our culture. They're not as prominent anymore. We've got trans man, trans woman, agender, gender fluid, gender expansive, trans masculine, uh, bigender, gender nonconforming. Some outdated terms, yet people still embrace them, would be cross-dresser or transvestite. Transfeminine, genderqueer. There, you may or may not identify under our umbrella if you are a drag performer or if you are intersex or if you're a two-spirit person. That's the beautiful part I believe about being a trans expansive human is you can step under the umbrella or not because really 
It's an identity, not a identity. You make that determination for yourself. Transgender, which is a word I've mentioned quite a bit, is uh, it's an umbrella term of people whose gender identity or gender expression differs from the sex that they were assigned at birth or societal expectations thereof. Cisgender, which is a word I will refer to, it's a way of leveling language and creating a level playing field. Cis means same as. It's a term for people whose gender identity is the same as the sex assigned at birth. So rather than always othering transgender people, because this is how I was raised, is that you've got regular people and you've got transgender people. That's hurtful, and that is very othering of trans expansive people. So instead, I would encourage you to say we have cis people and we have trans people. So those are just some language updates for everyone. Non-binary identities, which again, we have a whole, a whole class of, of non-binary 101, and generally, and those are always delivered by a human who is a non-binary person. I'm a very much a binary trans person, but I can tell you that some of the identities under the non-binary umbrella could be no gender, both genders, neither gender, combination gender, third gender. It's a big, beautiful, colorful way to be under the umbrella. There are many ways to present and gender. Okay, pronouns. What are pronouns? I feel like pronouns are like 2017. Very, very 2017, it was a hot topic of like, what's your preferred pronoun? And I remember the first time somebody asked me that, I was really pleased. I felt really seen and I felt really validated. And, I, and, I, and now, if somebody says, what is your preferred pronoun? I feel like they need an update on their language. Because it's, I don't prefer to be a he, him, his. I'm a he, him, his, right? So while that was so powerful in the early teens of the 20s, um, it's outdated. It is not a preferred pronoun. It is a pronoun. Asking someone what their preferred pronoun means is not as validating or as being seen as just saying, hey, what's your pronoun? We've got our pronouns that many of us are familiar with would be she and hers and he and him. We also have what are called neo-pronouns, z, he, or zer. And then also they, them, theirs. A lot of my non-binary siblings use they, them, theirs as their pronouns. I have friends that use no pronouns. And I have friends that use all different versions of neo-pronouns. And again, if somebody is telling you what the pronoun is that they use, honor it. It's, it's basic. It's simple. It's an identity not a identity. If someone is telling you that they use that pronoun, it is decency and respect to use that. If you are in doubt, if somebody's coming at you and you want to be loving and welcoming and supportive and you're just honestly not sure what pronoun they use, that is okay. And in fact, it's a badge of of delight and courage with many human beings to be taking up that space. So what I encourage you to do is say, hey, my name's Sarah, and I use he, him, his. What's your name and what are your pronouns? Putting yourself in a vulnerable position first, and then engaging that person in asking them who they are, and then honoring that choice or that pronoun, right? If you are in doubt, always ask.
Well, repeat, remove preferred pronouns from your language. Pronouns are pronouns. I have said a couple times, I'm sure I'll say it a few more times, it's an identity, not a identity. If somebody approaches you and they say, hey, I'm Sarah, and I use he, him, his, and you're looking at this human, and maybe you've known this human a long time, and you're just struggling with that integration of who you knew them to be and who they really are, or maybe you're just meeting somebody the first time and you're like, I hear you saying that you want me to use he, him, his, but everything society has ever told me says that I should use she, her. That's, it's okay, right? It's, it's okay because you have been spoon-fed a narrative about gender that's not accurate. And so take a deep breath and do your best to show that person love and dignity by using their pronouns, by using their name. And if you mess up, it's okay. Quickly move on. Apologize and move on. Please do not make the person who you just injured by misgendering them do a bunch of emotional labor. It's, it, it's not about you. It's about you to change your behavior and love on that person. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I meant him. Oh, him. I've done it. I do it. Move quickly through it. Process your feelings with a cis person later. Setting a tone of inclusivity, it's vital. And I will speak on behalf of trans expansive humans for in a general, general way I'm going to say that most of us prefer you ask rather than assume. Deep breath. So people often ask um, why the Metro Trans Umbrella Group exists. And I am going to show, I'm going to tell you antidotes as to why the Metro Trans Umbrella Group exists. This is for my statistic-minded friends. These are for my humans who need some proof need some details. And if you are a trans expansive person and you're watching this, this is a content warning, these slides are tough. They're tough and they're why we do our work. Let's go to the first one, which is probably, well, the second one's the toughest. So this is the 2015 US Transgender Survey Report. It is the most comprehensive document that we have to date. Hopefully, I believe a new, I believe a new, um, uh, survey is going to be coming out. I don't know. COVID. COVID's done so many things. This is one of the things. So we're waiting. What the data will show, has shown, pervasive mistreatment and violence, the compounding impacts of other forms of discrimination, harmful effects on physical and mental health, and we experience severe economic hardship and instability. You can Google this. You can read through the document. These are just the highlight lowlights, right? Okay. This is why the Metro Trans Umbrella Group exists. According to surveys, 4.6 of the United States population has self-reported a suicide attempt in their lifetime. With that number going up between 10 and 20 percent if you add lesbian, gay, or bisexual to, those, to that identity. So 20 percent of lesbian, gay, and bisexual respondents have uh, reported an attempt of suicide, whereas 41 percent of trans-expansive humans in the United States, 41 percent of us have attempted suicide in our lifetime. That's why the Metro Trans Umbrella Group exists. Because we do not do that because we are transgender. 
We do that because we are faced with so many barriers and because society is constantly telling us that we are not worthy to take up the space that we do. Media reflects it, our government reflects it, both federally and locally. Walking in the Target, we get reflected that. Being on, watching ourselves on television, we get reflected that. And the Metro Trans Umbrella Group strives to be a sanctuary where we gather in groups and we hold up mirrors to each other and we tell each other that we are worthy of taking up every square inch of space that we do and that we're lovely and that we're beautiful and that we're deserved of not only surviving but thriving. 41%. Next slide. Harassment and violence. 46% of us have been verbally harassed in the past year because of being transgender. I am going to verbatim tell you the statistics that are out there, but I am going to tell you as a Midwest organizer, I believe locally all of these statistics are higher. One in 10 of us have been physically attacked in the past year because of being transgender or being read in the world as a transgender person. Half of us have been sexually assaulted at some point in our life. Half of trans expansive people have been sexually assaulted at some point in our life. 10% of us in the past year. One quarter of us have experienced severe physical violence by an intimate partner compared to 18% of the US population. Healthcare. Oh, healthcare. Let me pause for a moment because I'm getting a phone call at MTUG. Hello? Oh, you broke your arm? Uh, you're not sure what to do? Well, we recommend the Barnes Jewish Healthcare System because we have the least amount of complaints when it comes to emergency healthcare. Oh, we have complaints, but they seem to be the least problematic place to go get your arm dealt with. This happens all the time. I'm a human who needs to go on hormone replacement therapy. I've decided that. Who are the informed consent physicians in the metro area? Well, we have about three. And I believe two of the three are full. No, there's four. Two of the four are full. Informed consent means I am a transgender person and I want to take control of my body and my autonomy and I believe that hormone replacement therapy is what I need doctor and the doctor says of course you know yourself better than anybody else but that's not the case in this area that doctor says well I hear ya but I'm gonna need you to go to a psychiatrist or a psychologist and get a letter that collaborates what you're saying and so again a barrier because so many of us do not have the health care that we need the, the health insurance that we need we'll see what happens with Medicaid being expanded I mean, thank you for that. We'll see what happens. 23% of us do not, did not see a doctor when we needed to for fear of being mistreated as a transgender person. 33% of us do not, did not see a doctor when we needed to because we can't afford it. Look, for myself and my own level of privilege, I have been called an it 
in a, in a, in a healthcare situation. I have been denied service in healthcare situation. I've had to explain my body to people when I needed support with like my throat being sore. I had to explain the, my body between my knees and my belly button, which had nothing to do with my sore throat. And I am a man who walks in the world with an enormous amount of privilege. And so add compounding effects of poverty, inability to have health insurance, race, uh, ability. I mean, it, it's, it gets worse and worse. Healthcare we all know is broken. Healthcare for transgender people is almost insurmountably broken. The other caveat is for real though. Take Care Clinic, I, a couple years ago I went there for a sore throat and uh, and the nurse practitioner was lovely. I mean, she was sweet. And then she's typing in her stuff, and then she's like, oh, hold on. This is weird. This came up, and it says she, and it's my dead name. And I'm like, ah, I'm trans. And then she asked me a hundred inappropriate questions. I basically pulled down my flip chart in the middle of the take care clinic and explained the roadmap of my life so that I could get some antibiotics for a sore throat. It's inappropriate, it's violence. It's a healthcare crisis for trans people. Statistics and barriers. Um, housing, housing, gosh, I was just on the phone with another organizer who does unhoused um, organizing in the city of St. Louis. And it's always been scary, it's scary. 23% of respondents nationally have experienced some sort of housing discrimination in the past year, such as being evicted from their home or denied a home or apartment because of their trans identity. And one third of us have experienced homelessness at some point in our life. One third of us have experienced homelessness at some point in our life. In the city of St. Louis, again, oh, the phone's ringing in, I'm talking, I answer, hello. Oh, you're a trans woman who's over the age of 24 who's experienced homelessness right now. Hmm, well, there is one shelter we can try to call, but they're generally full. Oh, and there's this project called the Trans Queer Flat, but they're always full. There's no services in place. Can you get to a larger city? Can you go to Chicago? Can you go to Washington, D.C.? There's two shelters in the United States that engage and embrace transgender people uh, primarily, trans queer people primarily, two places. St. Louis is not one of those places. There are some emerging spots, but they're few and far. It's not safe for us to be in traditional unhoused shelters. Come on over to MTUG and I can give you a, a tent and a sleeping bag, and you can store your stuff in our lockers outside. Like that's what we can do, that's what we're doing. We feed you, we have a shower upstairs. Housing is a crisis, and I am cognizant, I lose sleep that so many of our siblings are gonna be unhoused here after this post-corona world, or this corona world that we're living in. So we need to come up with some different alternatives. Housing is a, and you know, and it's not just being unhoused, right? Just in general. Let's say you are a trans expansive person who has a job and you know, you're finally ready to launch and do your thing and so you apply for a house or you apply for an apartment and all of your old history comes up. And, per, and yes, in the city of St. Louis, it, you're not supposed to be discriminated against if you're transgender, although not in Missouri proper, just in the city of St. Louis. But a landlord's reading all this and they're like, what? What do you mean all these names and she and he and what? 
and you just get shuffled along. And can we claim that's discrimination? Can we fight it? I don't know a lot of transgender people that can come forward to lawyer up. I just don't. It's not happening. You're on Craigslist and you're looking for housing with roommates and you meet your roommates and they're clocking you as trans and they're like, no thanks. Like those are the more micro levels of housing discrimination that we face. Okay. Local barriers, ah, barriers, barriers, barriers. No HRT services on a sliding scale. Hormone replacement therapy, which is life-saving life medication for many binary trans people. Planned Parenthood's local scope is emerging as a provider for trans folks, but they're not quite there. But oh, I hope to change this slide soon, 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 because Planned Parenthood under the leadership of Colleen McNichols has, is going to change healthcare for us. I believe it, I believe it's happening. There is not really free therapy for trans expansive adults specific that I have found. Although if any of you all have ref, ref, uh, resources that would tell me differently for culturally competent trans, trans expansive loving therapists to provide ongoing therapy for us for free, please send them our way. We have peer led support through MTUG. Informed consent, which is what I talked about before, about knowing your body and knowing the decisions that you want to make medically is the exception, not the rule. Missouri laws for gender marker changes are moving targets. Missouri's going to come at us with all kinds of rules and regulations about how we can participate in sports. It's coming, this tidal wave of anti-trans legislation that is going to hurt trans youth in particular. And those Foolish, foolish bathroom bills about clocking where it is that we can use the toilet. It's, it's red herrings, it's smoke and mirrors, it's ridiculous. If I could wave a magic wand, I would get rid of all urinals and everybody would just have toilets to use. And because then it would be an, an accessible and equal opportunity uh, place to take care of your body functions. Okay. This is my transition slide to sort of shift gears from the gloom and doom and the barriers uh, of living in this world while trans. I need you to know that, like, it's, I, I mean, I, you know, I'm in a church, it's a little intimidating, but I am so a trans evangelist. Like, the good news about being a trans person is over, it's beautiful. It, I love, I love, I love, I love being a trans expansive person. I love that I've had the experience that my body has done things that I could have never, it's been a gift, gift after gift after gift. And now I'm a paid professional transgender person. Like for real y'all, it is beautiful to be a trans person. It is brutal, it is tough, and it is, it's beautiful. And people have to understand that we are people, we just want to be ourselves. Sing it, Sylvia. Let's do it. Okay. The local landscape is beautiful. St. Louis is special. People migrate to this area because of the amount of services that we provide. We provide support groups, online support groups. We support anywhere from 150 to 200 people a month-ish with our online support. Uh, we have a food pantry, we have a toiletry pantry, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. We have the nation's only transgender memorial garden, which is sacred space for us. It is our cathedral in the city to honor our dead and plant hopes of seed for our future. 
I love this city, and I believe there's so much potential and possibility. It's a cheap place to live. Did the slide change over there? Yeah. Um, it's affordable to live in this city for the most part-ish, right? There are th free things to do. There is a vibrant community. We've got um, different organizations working to uplift and engage trans people. We work with Flower Boy, which is a trans-masculine support group for black trans humans, masculine humans. We've got the St. Louis Anti-Violence Project. We've got queer and trans people of color St. Louis. We have MTUG. We have the Memorial Garden Squish, which is a hotline that is locally staffed by affirming queer folks to love on queer folks. I mean, there's just some really amazing things that are happening locally in St. Louis. It is, it is, it's sort of a beacon, I guess, in the Midwest. So I want to talk about MTUG because I'm so proud. I'm so proud of the work that we do. We can always do better. We can always do better, and I am proud of where we have been, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to where we're going. In 2018, we were gifted a house, uh, like given a house for free, and it's beautiful, and it's lovely, and prior to COVID, it was turning into a community center. We, uh, a friend of mine from high school was able to gift us a ramp and an ADA-compliant bathroom, so it was, the main floor was like literally accessible to most humans and most bodies. We put couches and we have a lending library in there full of trans books. We had some computers that folks could use. We had a fully stocked kitchen. We would cook for each other. We had barbecues in the backyard. Upstairs, we've got office space. We have a beautiful boardroom where we're growing trans expansive leadership. And then COVID, right? So it's changed. Um, we also, when we were given this gift of a house, part of our strategic plan was to be able to provide more wraparound services with food and with toiletries and with clothing. And we were able to do all of those things. We were doing all those things. In the basement, we created a free clothing closet in honor of our friend Alex Johnson. And you can come in and get free, upscale, lovely clothing for like job interviews or just being in the world. We have binders. We have adaptive equipment for transgender people that we give out for free. We do have suitcases and um, tents and sleeping bags for our unhoused population to make sure that people are able to walk in the world with some level of dignity. We have a free store that is full of pots and pans and, and dishes and blenders. And it's basically when you're moving out and you're getting your own place and your folks have kicked you to the curb and they're not going to let you go shopping in their basement, you come to our home and you shop in our basement so you can get your needs met. Our food pantry served, what, like eight and ten people a month before COVID, which was very important. And it was, it, I mean, eight or ten people relied on us for their food. And so, you know, yeah, hell yeah, go shopping, let's do it. Um, same with toiletries. Um, but... COVID happened, and now we went, um, do you want me to switch the thing? Nope. Now we went to um, delivery food pantry, and we, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe 60 or more people a month, 60 to 80 people a month. I, it, it's exploded. I, and people that are relying on us to feed them and to give them toiletries. And we do sweet other things like in the heat of it, when everybody was locked down, we'd send puzzles and little love notes and we would send um, 
which, are, you know, just makeup, things like that. Um, also part of the, some of the work we do is we do workshops. Workshops that empower authenticity. So prior to COVID, we would have like makeup workshops and uh, face contouring workshops and clothing and hair. We have health and beauty days where we get people haircuts. We do STI testing. We're trying to figure out how we're going to do that in the time of COVID. We are, we are expanding our education series. Uh, one of the educational series that we, we've, we did in-house and that we created was um, Until We're All Free, which is a, a guided um, journey for white, trans-expansive folks to go through to sort of dismantle and try to disengage ourselves from white supremacist culture and racism. You know, I, I mean, there's plenty of opportunities for cis people to do that work. And when you're engaging a marginalized population to really address racism within their own culture, I think it's important for that to be led by those other marginalized folks. And so that's what we're doing with MTUG, because we're really trying to dismantle white supremacy from our organization as much as we possibly can. Um, there's part of us. This is a slide of our, one, our, our gala. So, you know, nonprofits have different ways of funding. We get some grants. Um, Missouri Foundation for Health is, a, is a, a good friend of ours. Thank you. Um, the St. Louis Community Foundation is a new friend of ours. But our, our, our big extravaganza, instead of a, a black tie event in an overpriced uh, hotel ballroom, which, you know, no shade, it's all good, um, is a, a telethon. Uh, sort of based like what I grew up on the Jerry Lewis telethon and I loved it as a kid I looked forward to it and so a couple years ago I said let's do a telethon and Kristen Goodman and crew made this happen and it's 24 hours of live entertainment and music and interviews and small footage and it is it highlights local trans and queer people in such in, in what I believe is such a beautiful way and it's so much fun and it's so creative and we're going to do it again December 5th, 6th. It's first weekend in December. Um, and, you know, we were doing the online thing before it got popular with the COVID. So um, I think it's going to be really exciting and innovative this year, and we'll see, we'll see what happens. Yeah, so I thought this picture was cute. It's just how so much of the work that we're doing is now going online. We hosted a, a, um, a podcast series for a while that's kind of fallen by the wayside. I hope it, we can reinitiate it um, called Trans AM, and it would be where we would interview interesting trans expansive folks from around the region. And um, it was quality programming. You can find it on our YouTube channel. And again, like I said, we are moving towards embracing... Um, a lot of online programming because of COVID. Okay, so this is kind of funny, fun. People want to know how to engage us, and these are ways to not engage us. Because, you know, I go from the heavy to the lighthearted. And I have heard these things, and I can laugh about it now, but when it happens, it's real ouchy. But, and I always hear it in this voice when I'm thinking about it. Um, wow, for a guy? You pass really well. It's a cringy compliment, y'all. It's cringy. Um, or, oh, Sarah, wow, you look so much better than this other trans person I know because they never really, but you look good. Ouch. I would never guess that you're really a woman. I've heard that more times than I care to, I don't want to hear that ever again. 
I'm tired of that. If you did this, Sarah Johnson, wear sports ball clothes, you would pass so much better as a dude, and somebody would ask me a sports ball question, and I would be like a deer in the headlights. I don't know sports ball. And so if I put that on, it's like if I were to wear camouflage. I just, it's, just, it's not who I am, and I don't need that sort of masculinity, right? I, I like a floral shirt, and I don't know. Uh, so those helpful hints are not so helpful. Unless you're really intimately involved with somebody, don't offer that advice. Trans people are so sexy. And I agree, and that is creepy and fetishizing. And everyone is trans these days, and that is, that is not true. Everyone that I know has one of these machines in their pocket that has access to the entire planet with a, asking for it. So we have access, we're not hiding, we are visible. There is more media about it. There, is more, there are more of us because we are taking up more space. We still make up by like 0.7% of the entire population of the planet. So no, everyone's not trans these days, but I certainly believe that gender constructs are being dismantled and I'm loving on that, I'm here for it. Okay. People ask, so those are ways to like, you know, don't be in the world. Um, another way, so then I want to offer you a way to be in the world. And if you want to be a good ally. An ally's best tool is a journey story. Elizabeth Fuchs told me about this idea, and I love it. If you know a trans person, if you love a trans person, when you hear people being inappropriate or hateful or using trans people as the butt of the joke, pull that human aside and tell him the story. Like, hey, I was hearing you talk that way and I just want you to know about my experience with my trans best friend from high school. Or I want you to know about my, my, this person who I go to church with and I've been able to be side view beautiful and experience their journey to becoming their authentic self. Or, hey, I just want to share with you my journey in loving and knowing transgender people. That is an ally's best tool. Know trans people, know our stories, and share your story about learning. And look, y'all, I'm here. I, have, I happen to have a transgender child, and I, I, I talk to other parents who have gone through transition with their children, and I, and I want to hold the space for the grief, right? Oftentimes, people who, when we come out, there is a level of grief. And, and as a trans person who's been in it for a long time, like, I can hold space for that. And I'm going to hold space for that. Also, it can be painful to hear as a trans person about people's grief around your transition. I found so much joy in my transition. It's hard to hold space for both. So again, talk to your cis, your cis friends about those sorts of things um, and not have emotional labor on your trans friends about that. Okay, so we've got some local resources here. Uh, Metro Trans Umbrella Group, we serve people 18 and over, the Transgender Memorial Garden, the Trans Queer Flat, which I can talk more about if anybody has questions. We have the St. Louis Children's Hospital Gender Center where my, children, my child is getting support. Um, I mean, that's a gift regionally. And when, if you were to call me as a person who is 21 or under, and you say, I, I need uh, support with my physical care, I would hands down say, the St. Louis Children's Hospital Gender Center, do it. To, to this date, I haven't, we have gotten no feedback that they have injured anybody. They really do quality wraparound care. PFLAG, 
St. Charles and Ferguson are both really great resources. Growing American Youth, which is support for queer youth, and The Spot, which is social and emotional and medical support for queer youth, I believe up to the age of 24. Again, all these resources in St. Louis. Okay, so this lands the plane to uh, connect with us. We do a lot of stuff on Facebook. We've updated our website recently. It looks really good. Um, we want you to get involved. We have lots of volunteer opportunities and lots of opportunities for trans expansive folks to come together and love on each other, even a time of COVID. Hmm, so are there any questions? So one question that's come up, Sarah, is about cis. Should somebody just identify as cis or should they identify as a cis male or a cis female? How would you recommend people use that language? I mean, I think just cis is fine. Um, you know, when I say I'm trans, I don't always qualify that with I'm transmasculine. Of course, that could be my privilege talking too, right? Like I definitely walk in the world with an assumption that people look at me and they think masculinity or male. So I say trans. So I think you, if you want to, you could use male or female after cis, but I also think just using cis is perfectly appropriate. I'm cisgender, which means, I, you know, same as. My life has been this whole way this whole time. Another question that came up, and it's something from the slide, you just went fast, but could you define two-spirit? So two-spirit comes from Native or Inuit culture. It's an identity based in um, humans who were born onto the planet, sometimes with intersex or sometimes just having the spirit of both masculine and feminine, and oftentimes reverent in, in, in Native culture. And so two-spirit is certainly derived from that sort of um, culture within our culture. Um, one of the questions that we get asked a lot in a religious space is how do we make room for people who want to have a single gender like spirituality space, like a men's prayer group, a women's prayer group, and how do you still have those things that have been a valuable space for folk but but make room for trans folks. Yeah, that you know that's so interesting, right? Because I I just and I, I think I might even have some struggles with that. As a, a human with a, uh, a a history of walking in the world being read as female, and really as a person who identified as female for many many years, because I didn't know I had a different option, right? I really appreciated women's spaces. I really appreciated being with other women in, in camping spaces and in musical spaces. And I didn't know what I didn't know. And so um, I think that if, as long as the space, I, I, so I do find value in like space. And I, you know, like for MTUG, we have trans expansive only space. And I find that really valuable. And we are, like, our support groups are very much like if you're a trans masculine person, you go to the locker room. If you're a trans feminine person, you go to the, to the fem spec. If you are a non-binary or a person who's sort of exploring their gender, you go to expression spectrum. So I, I think that there is room for those sort of identity-based groups as long as you're doing them with loving compassion. And to not police people's identities. Say, if you are a male-identified person and want to worship together, come on. 
and making it very clear that it's well it's a welcoming space for all male identified people you don't have to get a swab to figure out what your DNA results are to get into the group but I also caution that if you're going to have binary spaces that you also try to include a non-binary space uh, if possible and so, yeah, I think I, I do find value in that. I find value in space. You know, I, I had a support group for a little while for older trans guys, and that could be under the umbrella of ageism. But I just wanted to be around, you know, fellows of a certain age who were sort of navigating this um, world as older men. And so, I find value in it. Just caution to be very compassionate and loving, and make sure that when you say we want all men, you mean all men not men who were identified male at birth only, right? Yeah. What about practical question? What are your current pantry needs? Our current what? Pantry needs? Oh, yeah. So oof, it's, a, it's a needy. We're very needy. Um, part of getting food through some of the outreach services in the city or like Operation Food Search, et cetera, is during COVID, they, would, they required you to have a drive-through model for participants. And I can, I'm t uh, that's not going to work for us because mm, I don't have a solid statistic, but I will venture to say that most of the individuals who receive service from our food pantry are on the bus. And it is inappropriate during a time of COVID for people to drive on the bus unless you have to. And it's certainly a whole lot of schlepping if you went and go grocery shopping to bring that back. In the, so we do delivery. So we're not eligible for some of the other um, USDA, some of the, pro, the other systems in place that feed people. Plus, a lot of those systems require identification and require hoops to jump through. We do not require those things. We do not need any documentation for you to be a recipient of our food pantry just desire. So all that being said, because I just want to qualify that, yes, people can go receive services from other food pantries if they have documentation, if they're a documented citizen, and if they're okay with the human behind whatever bureaucracy knowing their business with their identification, which doesn't always match. So all that. We need food. We need canned food. We need non-perishable, easy, open items like cans that pop open instead of a can drive, uh, you know, a can opener. We need foods that people can pop into a microwave that are shelf stable. We have, we have come to a collective conclusion that many of our individuals do not know or do not cook. A lot of our individuals came from the service industry where they basically fed themselves through their jobs. And so early on when we were handing out stuff, and still just yesterday, we, hand, we, we deliver pots and pans and cooking utensils for people. So even those sorts of items we need. Um, our main need though are non-perishable food items. People love to get cake mixes, cooking oil I can't keep on the shelves, fruits, vegetables, and like chili meals in a can. Um, and pasta, and ramen. Um, and if folks want to make a donation, they should just email? Yes, you can totally email us. Um, yeah, we do. I love to hate Amazon. Amazon is problematic, and it has saved us because we people can, from the, from the comfort of their own home, go online and look up our wish list, which we have on Amazon, and buy us stuff. It gets shipped to the house. 
which means less exposure for me because I am the full-time paid staff and I go to the grocery store once or twice a week, Walmart or whatever, Aldi's, and buy food for our pantry, and that means less exposure. Um, and it also means that we're getting things that we really want delivered right to the house. So that is the, or you can, inst you can call us on Tuesday or Thursday and say, hey, what do you need today? I'm going to Instacart you an order. And we've had that happen, and it's like Christmas. <laughs> it's like the, it's the best because you can really say, well, you know, I know that this human really wants some whole milk. Can you send us whole milk? Because we can't keep that stuff at the pantry because we don't know who wants it. But um, So those are all ways. And you can also, like, have an informal food drive with your friends or your family and bring it over to the house. And, of course, we always take cash. <laughs> we always take uh, monetary donations. But... Yeah, we are feeding people. We also take toiletries. Um, yeah. So a question that's actually come up in our church life. We wear name tags. You saw them on the way in. Yeah. And we were wondering about putting pronouns on name tags. And there's a question that's come up in the chat about normalizing the introduction of yourself with pronouns. And I'm wondering about, we sort of hit a pause on that because we're thinking about getting like pins that people could put whatever pronouns they wanted to or not put pronouns on. But what would you say are the best practices right now in a group setting around pronoun introduction and name tags and then introduction in person with like out loud? Yeah, so even like a year ago, I would have been like firmly like, do it, name tags, put like little they, them, or he, him, make a circle, have it, on a, have it as an option on your, so that it's clear, it's visible. Because I, I, and I still would err on the side of that, like tag yourself, put it out there. And when you're introducing somebody, normalize it. I'm Sarah, I use he, him, his, normalize it. There are those situations where people are not comfortable telling you their pronoun or they're not in a place where they, they, they are still using a pronoun that they don't identify with, but they don't feel safe enough to really tell you their pronoun. So it can also be like hurtful, right? So it, it, I, believe, I believe for the most part it is a very loving gesture to ask someone their pronoun and to put your pronoun out there and also just hold space for those of us who are not ready to claim that our true identity. And also, you know, just be tender about that. But yes, I think in a congregational setting when we can all come back together, having those tags on your, on your identification uh, creates a loving and affirming environment. So a lot of questions around kids. A more broad question first. What are the best ways to talk to children about gender expansive trans identity? Are there any children's books you recommend? Okay, so children's books, the Flamingo Rampart series by Esper, organized by Esper Bergen, Berg, Bergman, fantastic. I think that they're up to like 16 different books. So there are, there are a number of books. Left Bank Books is a great resource. I believe that they have a guide on their website. Um, and then the S. Bear Bergman series from Flamingo Rampart, wonderful books. What I particularly like about Bear, Bear's series, is that he engaged um, multicultural writers. He, the children that are illustrated in the books are multicultural and differently ability, uh, that have different abilities. And there's, there are no bullying stories, because I'm tired of that. I'm done with that narrative. We know we're bullied. My child knows he's bullied. 
I am tired of the only reflection for my child in media. I was weary that all the stories were the hard parts of being trans. I'm, let's, let's move through that. We know it's hard to be trans. I don't need to read my child a bedtime story talking to him about how it is to be bullied on a bus. Please, I don't, let's not do that. Let's talk about the joyful ways to engage transgender people. The Flamingo Rampart series is wonderful when it comes to that. And again, Left Bank Books, we love Left Bank Books. They're a huge supporter of ours and they have a resource guide. So related to that, uh, we have a parent talking about the experience of parenting a trans child who is trans, who ex their identity is toward masculine. And this parent is having a hard time figuring out how do you be a supportive parent when everything that they associate with masculinity is either negative or outdated. How do you indicate that you're supportive and where your gender um, support is? It, sorry, I've got this echo in my ear. So it's like I'm hearing myself. So we have a parent that's asking about, um, I'm trying to be a supportive parent and I've got a trans teen who's a son, but everything I associate with masculinity is either outdated or is not of interest to this teen. How do you be supportive of your child? I just want to be clear. The parent experiences masculinity in an outdated form or the child is... Yeah, sorry. So the, the child is... Um, trans identifying as masculine. Yes. And the parent's trying to figure out, um, this is a feminine identified parent trying to figure out how do I uh, support this child who doesn't, also isn't into sports ball and all sorts of things like that. The child is into sports ball or no? Right, yes. Get good men in that child's life as possibility models, right? Like, I, and you know, so a little bit about my personal uh, story is, uh, you know, I lived many years of my life as a lesbian, and I happened to give birth to two children, and um, and I've also adopted a third. And my partner and I were seeking possibility models for our children to have masculine. Um, centered individuals. We had a, you know, a handful of gay male friends and we wanted more and we found that through our church which happened to be a Unitarian church because there were just good men that we would sit in the pews with and so um, I allow, you know, we engaged and empowered our child to walk with these gentle men, right? These men who, um, and certainly, you know, not, I have some masculine friends that we engage to that were very much like huntery type of uh, more traditionally masculine humans who again though walked with a social justice heart. So I think, um, you know, working through and addressing your own uh, engagement with men so that you don't push that onto your child, which is hard, right? Um, you know, I, part of my identity is I don't particularly care to be identified as a man, although I realize that that is the privilege that I'm taking up in the space that I have. I prefer to be identified as a masculine person. I do know good men. I do know a, a, a number of good men, and I've also been engaged with a lot of really toxic men. And toxic masculinity is for sure and for real. And as a person who has been in both locker rooms, men's locker rooms can be pits of despair and terrible masculine. And so it's a tightrope to walk. Um, look for, there's a thing called the Good Men Project. I like that. Um, there are also probably books out there about uh, masculinity and decolonizing it and walking in the world as gentle men. And also I would encourage your child to get involved with other um, transmasculine people. We've 
often talked about like a mentorship program. We just really don't have the capacity right now, but um, try to get your child involved with other trans men who are, could be good possibility models as to how to be in the world um, with this new level of privilege. Um, and because, you know, when I first came out as trans and I was first being read in the world as a man all the time, it was intoxicating. It was, it was intoxicating. And I didn't always use it for good, for sure. I have, I have made mistakes in my life with using that privilege and that power that I stepped into in just like really gross and yucky ways. And I hope that with age and with time and with just being interrupted, I've been able to change that. But yeah, it's complicated. Gender is so complicated. And um, yeah, hopefully, I, I need to figure out some good books to recommend. I don't have any for like adolescent. Oh, good. Thank you. Can you, in that same line, recommend any resources, not just for kids, but for parents um, and, and even for teachers? Are there good resource guides? Are there good ways to indicate your support quickly to a trans student? Are oh, there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a great resource locally in our community. Kelly Stork wrote a fantastic book uh, for trans. It's, it's a workbook for trans kids. It's My kid loves it. It's great. Um, it's, it skews a little younger, but it can certainly be applicable to all ages. And um, that's available, I, I would assume, at Left Bank Books and online. And Kelly Stork is a local uh, therapist who's really beloved in community. Um, you were asking for resource. Oh, teacher resources. So, uh, t teacher resources. So, what um, what I have found with my own child going through uh, public school is to uh, when we went to the school, I when we went to the meeting and we we, we made the proclamation that our child was doing this, and then I specifically asked the principal who can be his go-to person, who is the safe person in the school. You can get back to me. Because basically I was asking for a queer teacher, a queer teacher who would advocate and love on my child and be that sort of sounding board. And we received that gift and we got that gift. I'm also going to suggest, I know it's challenging in a time of COVID, but to try to get rally as much support, peer support for your child as humanly possible, because uh, that, that can be really life-saving and life-affirming. Did I answer the question? I think you have. I think there's also, um, I want to note for folks that in the chat, there are links to a lot of these resources. And when we post this up on YouTube, we'll put it in the comments as well. Uh, you know, another thing to do, which is pretty easy, especially if you're, a, if you're a teacher or if you are in an office or you work at Target, if you can identify yourself in some capacity with a rainbow flag or, you know, any one of these um, flags, uh, maybe a lanyard that's a trans colors, any way that you sort of flag yourself is like, I'm cool. Most of us have grown up with sort of a spidey sense to seek that out. And so if you can flag yourself in some capacity that, you know, sort of like how you, I, well, the first thing I saw when I drove up to this church was Black Lives Matter. I mean, you're, you're proclaiming that. That is powerful and important. And it's this, it, it is a, a similar proclamation when you are, are using, uh, Black Trans Lives Matter, right? Or Trans Lives, like, you know, putting that forward, whether it's a little button or a pin or a flag in your office, it can go a long way. And I think especially with youth. I, I mean, my child loves to know, loves to clock queer teachers <laughs> by their bumper stickers or whatever, however they do. And I, it's very powerful. I'm going to make a little space for any other questions that want to happen in the chat 
or feel free to use the hand button and ask your question live if you'd like to. It's so odd to do this on Zoom. It's just I know, a it's hard. very... It's always better in person. Mm, I can tell you a story if you'd like me to tell you a story. How are we doing on time? Probably pretty good, yeah. We're pretty good. We probably have about nine minutes. My story might be. Well, I could, it's, it's a bathroom story, and it's kind of it's fun. It's lighthearted. It. It's a good way to land. If folks the need thing. to sign out, we're good. Okay. All right, so I'm going to tell you the first time I used the bathroom. Because, <laughs> um, you know, it's a hot topic. It was at least five years ago. Uh, ten years ago, I had been on testosterone for about eight months. Uh, I was at a Willie Nelson concert at Verizon, whatever they call that outside amphitheater now, a lot, the Hollywood, whatever. I was at a Willie Nelson concert with my mother and my sister. I love Willie Nelson. Uh, and um, I had to pee. And like I said, I was on about eight months of testosterone, so I had like my 15-year-old dude stash going, not this mighty beard that you see now. It was like, you know, the little fuzz looked dirty. Um, I, it was cool, it was fall, so I was like, pat my, I had my chest patted down and I was wearing like one of those sleeveless puffy coats and my, my uh, pants with pockets on the side and I was, I was rocking the masculine look for sure. Cropped hair, my voice had started to get fuzzy and changed, but I had not ventured into the men's bathroom yet. I was frightened, I was scared. I, it's this unknown territory, I would either not pee or I would find a quick trip with a single stall, or I would just, just not use the bathroom, which is an, a problem, which is an issue. But I was frightened, and I didn't want to get um, assaulted in the bathroom. I didn't want anybody to know, and I really didn't know what the culture was like in the bathroom. So I get up, and I go, and I walk, and I look at the Verizon Amphitheater toilets, and I see the men's bathroom over here to the left, and it's literally like nobody. It's a ghost town. It's like there's no men. I'm like, what? And over to the right is the women's bathroom, and it's wrapped around the margarita hut. It's like a huge snake of women. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to do what I know, and I'm going to go stand in line. And so I go stand in line, and I'm trying to look incognito, like I'm hiding my little mustache. And I see the familiar whip of a head, which I had seen many times in my life, because even walking in the world as a butch woman, I'd go into the women's bathroom, and women would constantly tell me I was in the wrong place. But I would puff out my chest, or I would take up my space and say, Sister, I am not in the wrong space. I'm walking in this world as a woman. But I knew better, because I knew I was in the wrong space. And so I'm like, oof. She's like, sir, sir. And I'm like, ugh. You're in the wrong line. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like trying to do the shuffle like, nah. And then she's like, I'm going to call security. I'm like, oh. So I get it and I walk over to the men's bathroom. And I'm at the threshold of the men's bathroom. And I'm taking a breath because I've been waiting for this moment for like 30 years, you know, in some capacity, on some cellular level. And I walk in and it's like a cathedral. It's like angels. I could hear the trumpets and the, all the urinals were like bright white and they were lit up like, like a show tune. And I was like, oh, it's, it's beautiful. And I happened to have brought my adaptive equipment because I really wanted to use the men's bathroom and I had been practicing and so I was ready. And so I belly up to the urinal and I, I'm peeing and I'm like, I, this is like a touchdown in sports ball or like the, the getting a Grammy. I felt so, yes, 
I've arrived, and I look to the right of me, and there's this other dude peeing, and I'm grinning like a Cheshire cat, and he looks at me like I have six heads, and I'm like, no, 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 that's not male culture. You don't do that. You just pee. You get, just do it. Just go. And so I'm like, blend, blend, blend. Meanwhile, it's like a show tunes are going on. I finish my business. I go to the sink, and I'm washing my hands, and I'm looking at myself in the mirror, and I'm thinking, God, this is, finally, I finally arrived, and then it delights them, and the music stops, and the smells hit me in the face, and I look around at the dirty floor, and I see the plumes of men walking past me, not washing their hands, and I was like, ugh, it's disgusting. But I had arrived, and here I was. So it was like, I, 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 I got what I wanted, right? And I assimilated into male culture. It's like, all right, this is cool. I like it. But I can tell you that one of the few things I miss from my life before are the bathrooms, because men's bathrooms in general are gross. And women's bathrooms are kind of nicer, and people chat, and nobody gives you a dirty look if you smile at them in the mirror. So that's my first peeing story. That's amazing. Uh, it's amazing to have that story told in the church on the feast of St. <laughs> Mary. Um, there was a question that came up in the chat that I think is a great place to finish. Um, and it's uh, a question about what currently right now locally are advocacy priorities. Um, and Aaron has very helpfully put a link to promo. But if you were to um, say, you know, in the next few years, the place we hope to go, what would be the advocacy priorities? Pass Mona. And advocacy-wise is we need a, a transitional living shelter for trans-expansive folks. We need housing. So I know that that's not like promo's lane necessarily, but I believe it's everybody's lane, and it's certainly the city's lane to come up with adequate shelter for trans-expansive folks in some sort of creative way that is not a hand out, it's a hand up, and it's a level of embracing uh, familial structures with trans folks and, and, and doing that correctly. So let's pass Mona to get some general protections in place, and then let's do something innovative in this city to be sort of a beacon of how we can house people in loving and appropriate ways. Definitely hear you on the housing. Um, can you define Mona for folks? Because I know there are a few folks that are wondering what you mean by Mona. Uh, the Missouri Non-Discrimination Act which I think is 22 years old this year, which would basically include gen a a gender identity in the non-discrimination policy for Missouri. So sexual orientation, uh, gender identity, right? And that would basically would provide a blanket of protection with housing and jobs uh, for transgender and, and uh, lesbian and gay adults in the, uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender adults in, the, in, the, in Missouri. Just some protection, just so that we can we can rent property, and we can utilize public services. I'm going to do my best to stay distant, but I'm going to come up and just say, Sayer, it's such a joy to have you at Holy Communion. Thank you so much for this, and we look forward to working more with you in the days ahead. Right on. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Sayer.